Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. This hour of Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech! Yeah, you're a natural. <laughs> there we go. Uh, as a reminder, what we learned coming up at 830, we're giving away a pair of tickets to the Canucks and the Blues this Wednesday, January 24th, to the best what we learned submission. Still time to get yours in. Make sure you include the ticket emoji. This is very important. I cannot stress this enough. Include the ticket emoji to be entered to win. We will uh, choose the winner and announce the winner at 830. But first, now very pleased to have on the show from NHL.com and in Goal Magazine. Uh, He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. He is Kevin Woodley. Kevin, how's it going, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you guys this morning? Uh, We're doing very well. So lots to get into with the Canucks as they start to approach the all-star break. I did want to touch on, I know Rick Dollywall tweeted earlier today, he's hearing Carson Soucy could miss a bit of time with a hand injury. Of course, he left the game uh, on Saturday against the Leafs after the second period, three to four weeks for Carson Soucy per Rick Dollywall. And look, obviously it's never ideal to lose a player like Carson Soucy, but at the same time, we've seen them manage without him in the lineup already this year. And with the way Noah Juleson uh, developed, uh, has developed so far this season, it feels like the Canucks are in a pretty good position to withstand Carson Soucy's absence here. Yeah, um, I'd argue maybe everywhere but the penalty kill. Uh, mm. And maybe saying they're still fine to withstand it, but we've finally seen some traction there in the last little while, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that's with Susie sort of getting back and getting comfortable and getting his feet under him. The good news, if it's a three- to four-week timeline, is there's still time to do that again heading into the postseason. So, um, and, you, and as you said, you have the depth there. So it's kind of one of those things where we, we sort of just got to see what they hoped this penalty kill could be, and obviously they made some changes up front. Um, you know, JT Miller sort of poking fun at himself as part of that when he was asked about the penalty kill post game on on Saturday, um, pointing out that he's no longer a key part of it. Uh, but the, you know, they finally seem to be the unit that I think they wanted to be, and sort of lose a big part of that um, first guy out on the left side on D is you know even with Nikita Zadorov sort of making that less sort of a, of an impact, having him there to roll out next, it just that's what Susie was all about, and that's what he's been really good at. And it, you know, we'd finally sort of started. The underlying numbers were finally sort of starting to look as good as as the surface numbers. And so we'll see how they do without him. It's a good point about the penalty kill because really over the last month or so, it, it's been a, a strength of the team, and it's been performing much better than it was earlier in the year. You know, you mentioned some of the personnel moves. From your perspective, what has kind of turned around the penalty kill? Is it just you know switching up the personnel a little bit, tweaks like that, or is there something more going on there? No, I mean, I think I still think having Susie is a big part of it. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and that's one of the reasons, you know, you look at the move for Zadorov, even though um, you could have argued it was left side D the biggest need. Uh, but, but without Susie sort of having more stability, like, you, you especially saw it when Susie was out and, and when they, before they got Zadorov, like, anytime Ian Cole took a penalty, they were. They were screwed, right? Like the the sort of strength of the left side on the penalty kill was either injured or in the penalty box. So I just think 
I think that's been a big part of it. Um, you know, I haven't really dug into what's changed with the forwards, to be honest, that much. Um, less PD, less JT, more the guys that are, you know, sort of more depth players otherwise in the lineup. Um, seems to, they're just, they're, there's at times there's more pressure up ice. We're seeing that. Entries aren't as easy for other teams. It's not automatic that they're getting set up and, and going to work um, like they were early in the season against the Canucks. Um, so more pressure up ice, less clean entries for the other team, and how much of that is personnel and how much of that is just everybody sort of finally getting on the same page with what they're trying to do, I can't tell you. But whatever it is, it's working a lot better in the last little while. And, again, it'll be interesting to see, you know, am I right or am I wrong in terms of how, how big a part of that Carson Soucy is. Um, Demko, how much do you play him in these next three games ahead of the All-Star break? Uh, it's a good question, actually. Um, you could, in theory, with the break coming up, roll all three. Uh, I guess it depends what you see. And, and this is kind of the caveat. Like, what you see from him both technically, how he feels physically, but also I, I think a lot of the fatigue that we talk about when it comes to goaltenders is mental. Like, just the ability to be sharp and focused for all 60 minutes. Um, do you see that wane? And, and in that case, like if you're giving them one off, it's, it's probably, well, it's either tonight or Wednesday. Like you, you don't want to give them, give them a Saturday off and have that much time, that much of a break. I don't think. Um, so I'd be surprised if he doesn't play that final game before the break. It's, um, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see whether it's, if you were to give him a night off tonight and, and, roll to Smith tonight, then it's not too big a gap between games. And, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But, honestly, just you could go all three, still no problem. What did you think about his game against the Leafs? He allows four goals, and yet his save percentage at the end of the night was still over 900 because the Leafs had 46 shots. Yeah, it gets lost on the screen. The screen. I mean, he he sort of owned the first one on the screen and said. I think the phrase he used was avalanche. The avalanche had started, and um, there was a screen on that one. Believe it or not, Willie Nylander from just inside the blue line actually isn't a low percentage goal because of the screen, because of the traffic. It ended up being a mid by clear sight numbers. Um, you know, at the same time, like he'll be probably be, like no one's harder on. Thatcher Demko then Thatcher Demko and so he'll probably want the way he managed that screen back um but uh, the second Nylander goal like I like everyone else was like ooh, like did that hit the stick because it looked awkward if not and then we see the slow-mo replay in in the intermission and it did indeed hit hit Mm. Susie's stick and I know a lot of people are like you can still react to that and it's like no yeah you (laughs) might yeah like you might get lucky but or it might come back into you. Um, that one certainly looked awkward. But here's the reality: if you're not reacting to the release, especially against a player of Nylander's quality, off the rush like that, even from that range, the puck's going in the first time without getting tipped. Like when you talk to goalies around the league at every level, and I first started digging into this a lot when Ryan Miller was here, and then you sort of it allowed you to have conversations with other guys. If you're not reacting almost before the puck is off the stick, you're dead in this league. Mm-hmm. And so once you start moving one way and it's on its way to you and your everything, your mechanics, your track, everything is headed to a certain spot and it tips the stick and changes directions, yeah, you might still be able to get a piece of it, but like expecting that to be saved 
um, is like that's not a it's not as terrible a goal as it ends up looking like. And as I heard sort of in the post game show, some of the analysts like he's got to have that. Like no, the reality is you're moving before the puck leaves, leaves Nylander's stick, and. If if it gets tipped on the way, you just hope you put yourself in a good enough position to sort of have it hit you still or maybe be able to react and get a piece of it. But expecting that save is just not – that's just not reality for NHL goaltenders. They can't wait that long to move off a release. Kev, what do they teach goalies about um, fighting through screens, fighting to find the puck, and doing that without losing your net? We could spend – an entire hour walking <laughs> Great. through. Let's do it. Let's do it. We got time. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and like so, we do a lot of pro reads at Ingle where we where we watch video. Um, and I had I actually just did this with Joseph Wool when he was in town uh, over the weekend. And the amount that goes into sort of finding pucks through traffic, and the amount you know we've talked about this with JT Miller and Besser and things like, especially when the power play was working early and their net front was a little uh, better, frankly, earlier in the season. The amount of interplay between the two, like in terms of I'm going to pull the goalie's eyes this way as you're releasing the puck, like the amount that goes into this on both sides of the puck now is actually quite incredible once you sort of dig into it with the players themselves. Like guys pulling a goalie short side, trying to pull him either out of the net, but recognizing that as soon as he gets to the post, he's going to switch his vision and come across you as a screener. And then guys shooting the puck, it used to be they'd look for that move, like as soon as the goalie changes what side of the screen he's looking around will shoot and will shoot to, you know, the side he's moving to because he's lost, he's lost vision. Now they'll shoot it right at the guy screening short side and the guy screening short side knows to move out of the way. Right. Like there's just so much interplay there. And so as a goalie, you're trying to solve that puzzle. At the end of the day, there are, there are some rules of thumb. The guy who's who your defender's supposed to be taking away the far side lane. Like if he's going to be in a lane in your eyes, it's supposed to be the far side of the net, which leaves you the short side, which is the shortest path the puck has to go in the net. Right? Like you can you can get your old triangles out and your protractors. Short side is the shortest distance inside the post that the puck can go. That's where we tend to prioritize our looks as goaltenders. But at the end of the day, especially with you know, sometimes defensemen or forwards not being in the right lane or guys trying to pull you out of what they now know and understand is your preferred sight, you know, sight of vision. Um, you, the reality is you just you have to pick when you change that. Um, you have to be really dynamic in terms of being able to move around it without sort of losing your body position. Right. Uh, and you have to, at, at the end of the day, the priority is seeing the puck. Uh, but there are rules of thumb that go into that, a lot of different ones. And when everyone isn't on the same page, that when it, when it gets really tough for goaltenders, you can look at the Canucks last year on the PK. It was their biggest problem. Guys were never in the right lane, and when they were, they wouldn't eat a puck. They wouldn't block a puck on the PK. And so the goalies never knew which way to look, and now it's a lot more controlled. But still within that, it's such a dynamic game. It's tough to always be in your preferred sideline. Hey, Kevin, Thatcher Demko, all-star selection this year, and obviously it's an honor to be named, but for a goalie, I mean, how much of a drag is it to have to go to the all-star game? It cuts into your rest. And I know you said, you know, so much of it is mental and it's not exactly a, a mentally taxing thing to do to go out there. But I, I always think from a goalie's perspective, I mean, you're almost like a prop out there in these games, right? You're not even the guys that are skating up and down and having fun. So, I mean, what do you think that uh, that, that Demko and, and the goalie coach thought of uh, his selection to the all-star? star game this year yeah i mean i think you had to see it coming um (laughs) 
I think if if they had their druthers, maybe not. Um, you know, but but I I haven't asked to be honest with you. Yeah, it just is what it is. Um, you you do have to sort of try, right? Like you can't just go out there and 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 not pay attention to it and not sort of get ready to play for a couple of reasons. One, it becomes such a dynamic east-west game that if you haven't prepared your body for the back and forth that's coming, you risk injury. So there's that. Like you have to make sure you're dialed up and ready to go or you get hurt. Um, and I, I think the competitive nature of these guys, as much as you can say, like, okay, I'm not going to yeah. lunge across at every back door and risk sort of pulling something here, like that kicks in. And because of all those chances, because of how open these games can become, you don't want to get embarrassed, right? Like the biggest change in the National Hockey League for goaltenders over the last five years is you can't get away with a B game anymore. Like you just can't. Uh, I've talked to a lot of coaches and a lot of goalies about it. I remember back in the day, Luongo, like, you know, those 70 plus game starters, like the whole, one of the big things for them was learning how to manage the nights where they didn't have it, where they weren't totally on and they could get away with the B game. Now you talk to guys around the league, the nights where you don't have it, that's when they hang five or six on you. And so an all-star game sort of like it's, it's, it's exacerbated. Uh, and, and you sort of need to, you know, you, you don't want to go out there and get embarrassed. You want to have a good effort. So it's, it's a really tough spot. Goalies don't love it. But it's it's almost like a necessary evil. Once you get in, you have to sort of recognize that, hey, it's an honor and sort of figure out a way to manage it. Uh, you can't take it too seriously, and yet, you know, every guy I talk to knows they can't go the other way because if you, you go in there sort of too – if you don't care enough, those two things risk happening. One, a, a giant lopsided number, um, and two, the possibility of getting hurt. Who's having a better season right now? Is it Hellebuck or Demko? Man, they're like, what, what, what have I said, Jacob Markstrom? Um, you know, goal saved above expected. Like, Markstrom's just killing it right now. De- uh, Demko statistically is ahead on volume uh, and, and just slightly ahead on, on save percentage. Last time I checked, adjusted save percentage. But Hellebuck's right there. And one of the most remarkable things about Hellebuck is what he's doing in tight games with less margin for error. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the... I saw the numbers like in one goal games he has a 975 save percentage. Like I think almost like a massive chunk of his goals saved above expected is with the Jets up by one. Like he's just in lock it down mode as they are as a team, and that's why like I think a lot of people see the season on the surface that Connor Hellebuck is having, and they're like, oh, he's got to be leading the league in goals saved above expected. And you know, again, didn't didn't pull it up this morning when I checked on the weekend. though he wasn't because. Everything is relative to environment, and that is a very goalie-friendly environment in Winnipeg. Doesn't dis- diminish what he's doing. Um, you know, I think during this stretch where they haven't allowed more than two goals in like 30 plus games, uh, or more than three goals in 30 plus games, the adjusted save percentage, Lorraine Brassois is also like plus four percent. So uh, they're on a heater in Winnipeg as a group. Hellebuck leads the way. Demko was on the similar heater at the start of the season, and now I think, you know, the question becomes. Can Hellebuck keep it up the rest of the year? To which I would say it's kind of like the same thing I said about Demko at the start of the year. When you perform at that high a level for, for that, like it's impossible to do that all season long. Hellebuck's done it longer. Does Demko get back to it by the end of the year? And the answer to that is probably whoever, whoever does so ends up with a Vesna trophy when it's all said and done. Although having one in the eyes of general managers 
is always going to make it easier to vote for a guy again, and so that gives Hellebuck an edge. Even if it were a wash, my bet is he gets it. Don't you think it would be a fascinating matchup, Winnipeg and Edmonton? Like the high-powered offense versus the lock-it-down Winnipeg Jets. Well, but that's the thing. Guess who else is the lock-it-down yeah. Winnipeg Jets? The Edmonton Oilers. Oh, like, they are just... a defensive wagon, not right after the coaching change, because they went on that Eastern swing and they continued to bleed high-danger rush chances. But after they got back and settled things down, the number two in the league in, in sort of high-danger – like. We talk about high-danger chances against the ones that are the most dangerous are, are off the rush. And the Oilers are number two in the league since December 1st uh, when it comes to giving up those chances. Like, they don't give up anything either. And so that's why, you know, you have to, as good as Stuart Skinner has been, and he's been excellent, um, there's that grain of salt. And what I would love to see about that matchup is the thing the Jets do the best the thing that Connor Hellebuck does better than any goalie in the world by a large margin is read, anticipate, process, straight line attacks. Like, there's nobody better. Mm-hmm. Um, one-on-one in a straight line, you're not beating that guy. You move it east-west, and the numbers are, haven't fallen off a cliff this year like they haven't passed, but, like, that's the formula. And nobody moves it east-west, especially if you give them power plays, better than the Edmonton Oilers. So that would be a fascinating study because as good as Hellebuck has been for as long as he has been, that success hasn't necessarily replicated in the playoffs. And I think a big part of that is teams really being deliberate about how they attack him. Do you think the Leafs are just going to wait for Joseph Wool to get healthy and then just ride with him? I would. That kid is legit. Like you talk about like before he got injured – he was a guy who was playing his way into the Vesna conversation. I think he's still top 10 in goals saved above expected, and he hasn't played since December 9th. Like, he is, you know, I did a bunch of video on him uh, in, in preparation for connecting with him on the weekend and, you know, had a chance to talk to Curtis Sanford about the habits. And like, this, that's why when people say, what are the Leafs going to do about their goaltending? My answer is just wait for Joseph Wall. Um, because, yeah, you might get nights like you did the, last night out of Ilya Samsonov and, you know, I would argue that Seattle, especially with the injuries they have right now, it was a perfect sort of get-right recipe for him. I think they only had 17 shots, even though they trailed most of the game. But when there were big chances and, and, and scrambles, he would at, was at his scrambly best. But even in the way he made those saves, when you look at it, it's like, that's not repeatable, and it won't be. So, like, he's not a guy you can count on. I'm sorry, it's just that's just reality. Mm-hmm. Joseph Wall, when healthy, is a guy you can count on. And I guess he's young and he doesn't have experience, but there's a little part of me when I watch the video, I'm just like, why the hell didn't they go to this guy last year? I actually asked that question in Toronto halfway through the season. One of the things I said was, what, down the stretch, what I would be trying to do is make sure I got Joseph Wall more reps for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I see of him, the more I think he is the future there in Toronto. And for all the other questions that have cropped up, like they're no longer the defensive team they have been for the past couple of years. They're bleeding more chances. They need good goaltending for the first time you know, in a handful of years. Uh, he's the guy that gives them the best chance to get it. Just to play devil's advocate, isn't it a lot to put on a young goalie I know he's 25, so he's not that young for the league, but I think he's got 26 NHL games total, and you're going to put the pressure of the playoffs in Toronto on this guy? I mean, what's your alternative? 
Yeah. Right. Like, like I said, like the, there's nothing predictable about Samsonov's game that hasn't changed. It doesn't look like he's worked a whole bunch at it. He still looks like the same guy, you know, uh, pinball flippers back there and go with that narrow butterfly, which is always going to limit his upside. And like, honestly, <clears throat> you talk to Joseph Wool, and I'm not sure that's going to phase him. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the moment becomes too big, but it, you know, between the two, or I guess you could look at other options, like like Martin Jones is also pretty unflappable. But at the end of the day, like there's a baseline there. There's a ceiling there. Um, and, it's, and it's not like he's a higher floor, low ceiling guy uh, to me, to use fantasy football terms. And, and Wolves got both. You know, if I were to look at the, the sort of mental makeup and the history between Samsonov and Wool, uh, I don't care how young he is. He's, 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 he looks a lot sort of... He looks a lot more in control of things than Ilya Samsonov does. I mean, just look at the way this season, look at the, some of the comments that come out of him after the room about being lost. Um, I'm taking Joseph Wool every day. Kev, always fun chatting goalies with you and the rest of the Canucks story, which has been a remarkable one this season. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, buddy. Sounds good. That is Kevin Woodley. Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650 brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Okay, what are we giving away today? Let's give the listeners one last yes. chance to send in a what we learned with a ticket emoji for what exactly? A pair of tickets to the Canucks and the Blues. That's on Wednesday, not Hottest tonight's ticket game. in town. Yeah, absolutely. Look, tickets are... Like I, we, Even we as a media guy, I'm having trouble getting free tickets, and that, that really bothers me because I feel <laughs> entitled to them. I was looking. I was talking to a buddy, and we were thinking, like, should we take our kids to you know their first Canucks game? Yeah. And I think there's a 12:30 Sunday game against the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a that's not a marquee game, you know, matinee Ducks, and it's like it's like 120 bucks to mm-hmm. get in, even on the resale market yeah. right now. And I think people are really starting to get on board. So yeah, it's the Blues. It's a midweek game, but. Tickets are hard to come by right mm-hmm. now for the Vancouver Canucks. So this is your chance to win Canucks and the Blues on Wednesday, January 24th. Best what we learned. So you still have you have like five minutes here. If you've been sitting on an incredible what we learned submission, now is your chance. Text in 650-650, hashtag WWL, and make sure you include the ticket emoji, and you will have a chance to win those tickets to the Canucks and the Blues. We will announce the winner in the next segment. We'll do some of our what we learns as well. That's all coming up. Final segment here on Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd in for Mike Halford today. Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Also by the Delari family of Acura dealers 
experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. And of course, the jingle can only mean one thing. It is time for what we learned here in the final segment of the show. We'll get to the listener submissions in just a second. Announce the winner of the tickets in just a second. First, we go to the dogs. A dog. Yes. I have a good one. Uh, with courtesy, actually, uh, Gregory Ballack over Ooh, there who pointed a it tag out team me. effort. Yeah, he's the one that pointed it out. And also, this is but from he our, didn't want to. He didn't want to present. It's it. more of an Andy style. Okay. Yeah, right. you'll, you'll see. Enough. He's like, God, this is awful. Hey, dog, you read it. No, no, I like it a lot. Actually, it's a really nutty one. Uh, this is from our own city news as well. Uh, Michael Ranger, uh, seventy thousand dollars worth of pistachios was stolen recently in the second nut-related truck theft in Ontario. Now, they're saying the hunt is currently on for thieves who plundered a pile of pistachios near Kitchener in what investigators are calling the second recent nut-related vehicle theft in the region. Waterloo Regional Police alleged suspects stole a transport truck and trailer from a business yard in the town of Baden, 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 west of Kitchener around 9.30 on Saturday. Now, the police say the trailer was full of 70K worth of pistachios. The weirder thing is the incident follows a similar theft in the region in November when suspects made off with a truck and trailer full of walnuts, according to police. Mm-hmm. They say the investigation is ongoing. Those nut-related vehicle thefts. That's yeah. what threw me. Really not, on the rise. not only are you stealing 70K worth of pistachios, I didn't even realize there was that many pistachios. I didn't think they were worth that much to begin with. Have you bought this pistachios? Is the yeah, this, pistachios are expensive. Tiny yeah. little bag is like $10. I wonder, this is I the wonder, second time, though. What's the process to unloading those? I was, that's what I was wondering. What's the black you, market on pistachios? I think you just the eat them. They're so good. You just like, eat, do you you eat sell them. them? <laughs> you just eat them. <laughs> I'm saving so much money on pistachios. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Homer you with, them, Homer the, with the sugar pile or something. You give them as Christmas gifts to all your... I've done all my Christmas shopping. <laughs> Some guy with a giant pistachio pile in his backyard like Homer guarding the sugar. Do you think? Do you think he's got one big buyer? Or do you think he's going to have to the, spread it around? Like one guy in or the criminal underworld like, that just really loves pistachios. So he's got 80 different bolt barns, barns on this like, payroll. There must well, be like, but I, but I was, I was going to say like, you know, independent grocery stores or yeah, something. Yeah, but, yeah. They, but how much money do they have to throw around buying black market pistachios? Yeah, like I can't take this. You're going to have to, un, you're going to have to split it up. You're going to yeah. unload it somehow. Um, and yeah. also like, imagine the policeman on the job trying to solve this case like he would go my first thought would be what you just said like you'd go to the independent grocery yep. stores you wouldn't go to Safeway because no. Safeway's not gonna got you know buy from someone but this is like, the hey, second one the guy, loose, I got, the guy I steals a bunch of walnuts he's like truck. hey these yeah. walnuts were worth a lot I should do this again target mm. something even more you know incredible I wonder if there's something specific about not Make it a a prime target for thievery. You can't trace them. Can't trace them. <laughs> they're, they're untraceable. That's yeah. what they always say. Yeah, I hear about traces of nuts all the time, though. Okay, go home. <laughs> Moo cow it with that dad joke. All right, let's print out some submissions into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Actually, could I read this one from Matt? Not on the island. It really made me laugh. Sure, sure. Okay, according to the VPD. <laughs> Almost immediately after the Bucks missed their field goal, a man only identified as MH was arrested running down the street, half-naked, clearly intoxicated, yelling, I told you all they sucked. Anyone seen Mike? Man. That's why he's not here today. I, he's I, actually incarcerated. I yeah, was thinking that if, if the Bucks had won, I should have come on and made like a big deal about being a massive Bucks supporter. Mm. Like, I knew it. I always knew that they could get it done. I will say, I mean, they kept it close. They had yeah. the ball with a chance to tie it. And Baker threw a pick, which is, you know, a Baker type thing to do. But it's not like they got destroyed by the Lions. Yeah, that was 
classic Halford. Like everyone describes me as like, you're the stubborn guy that's always in a bad mood or whatever. It's like Halford just like continually came in and said the Bucks are bad and he refused to even budge a little bit, like even a little bit, even though they ended up being, you know, top eight team, according to the playoffs. Like, yeah. yep. According to Halford, he's like, yep, they're still bad. Uh, by the way, what we learned is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. Oh, my God. We're having a fire plan. If Halford hadn't already used his one phone call, he'd be calling in from the drunk tank right now to complain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to rip Baker yeah. as a fraud. Uh, here's the winner of the uh, Canucks Blues tickets. It's Spencer. What we learned after the Canucks beat the Leafs, the Canucks in arena fan base isn't as boring as everyone thought the past 10 years. They've just had nothing to cheer for. That was definitely one of those games where I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I should be there. I wish I'd been there. Um, Leafs, Canucks, Leafs, Habs, it's, there's always got an element of fun because you've got Good representation from each fan base. Um, But the way that game played out with the Canucks getting off to that start, being up 3 0, the Canucks fans were just celebrating. They're like, this is going to be a party all night. And then how many goals, how long did it take the Leafs to score those three goals? Like five minutes? Yeah, maybe a little more than that, but not long. And and the thing was, the ice was tilted too in the second period, right? So you could kind of feel it coming even before the third goal went in. And then the Canucks respond well to make it 4-3. But then this could have been a dagger when the Canucks gave up that Mm shorthanded goal to Marner. That was just such bad puck management on the power play. And the Leafs tie it. And once again, all the Leafs fans, you can't say like the air went out of the building because the air remained in the building because the Leafs fans were celebrating. And then the Canucks a few minutes later get get another power play score and then tack on another power play goal to make it 6-4. Like what a roller coaster to be there on a Saturday night in Rogers Arena. It it really is incredible how the home opener set the tone for the season, right? Because I think one of the yeah. big stories has been just how well the team has played at home and how much fun the home games have been. Mm-hmm. Like, think about the home opener against the Oilers. Think about the Bo Horvat return and Quinn Hughes scores in overtime right. to win that game, right? You know, the other, the second Oilers home game where it's like 6-2 and they're clowning them all over the ice. Now juxtapose it with some of the performances we saw at home from the Canucks yep. in the last few seasons. Remember the home opener against Buffalo? Was it Buffalo? I was, yes. Yeah. Jersey on the ice, you're Jersey's right. Jersey's on yep. the ice, and then Jim Rutherford going up on after hours mm-hmm. and saying, like, I didn't even know Boudreaux was signed for this year. <laughs> like, I still look back on that and think that was such a crazy thing to concede on national TV that uh-huh. he essentially took the job without even knowing that Boudreaux was signed for another year because he came into that job. He's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say that Bruce was a great coach for what the Canucks needed at the time, which was basically some hugs. Yeah. Right. Feel good about yourself. And then there was the Bruce, there it is thing. And it was all a great story, but clearly there was a disconnect between the style of hockey, the style of organization, the preparation uh, between Patrick Galvin, Jim Rutherford, and Bruce Boudreaux. They wanted their own guy in there. They wanted to run it their own way. 
uh, and Bruce wasn't running it the way they wanted it to run, and they like openly admitted it. Yep. So it brought up the whole like, then why is he still the coach? <laughs> right. And it just played out in such painful fashion that made, at the end of the day, Rutherford and Alvin. And especially Rutherford, I think, because he was so vocal mm-hmm. and ownership, I suppose, looks so bad. But they were also, based on what we're seeing right now, so right. They were correct. And, you know, sp- speaking of Rutherford and the, the texter who won the tickets and, you know, just about, hey, fans aren't actually that boring at the games now that they have something to cheer for. I thought it was really striking when Jim Rutherford and Francesco Aquilini spoke on Friday, of course, announcing Jim Rutherford's extension, how much Aquilini kept coming back to the excitement from fans, right? Mm-hmm. And referencing, you know, going down on the uh, L.A. road trip or, or the Southern California road trip and seeing, you know, more Canucks fans than fans of the opposing teams for those games and all of these different kind of metrics and indicators, the excitement in the building. And this season has been so good and so much fun. It really highlights what thin scraps we had to hold on to for so long. You know what I mean? Like, remember yeah. the whole idea of like, are they going to play meaningful games in March this year? Are they going to be in like 10th place in March and convince themselves that they have a chance to make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And that was the goal to get to. And you realize it's hard for a fan base to stay 100% engaged and excited when those are the benchmarks you're trying to hit and you're not even hitting them. And all of a sudden you have a season like this. You're like, oh, right. It can be really fun. It can be super, super fun mm-hmm. to be engaged and follow this team on a day-to-day basis because it just hadn't been for a long, long time before I, this year. I actually thought the Canucks in arena group had done a really good job relative because I think that fell off a little bit. Yep. How they presented the game, and I think the last few years it, it's gotten better and, th- and that's helped, but nothing is going to compare. That can only go so far. That can only go so far, and you need both. Um Will, with what we learned, Vancouver drivers are bad at rain. (laughs) Throw in a transit strike, and you better give yourself more time to get where you are going. Are Vancouver's drivers bad at rain? They they should be good. We should have lots of practice at rain. Maybe Vancouver drivers are just bad. Yeah, and I also think, is there a city in the world where people are like, you know what? Drivers in this city are awesome. We're great at it. Like, That's I feel true, like yeah. every city is like, oh, our drivers, they don't know what they're doing. I think there's just a lot of bad drivers in the world who yeah. don't really know what they're doing. I interviewed the Giants bus driver at the Giants game mm-hmm. yesterday afternoon. And you're here Reti- to call him out. Oh, well, he's retiring driver. after 24 years, zero incidents. And his, his only advice was just when the weather conditions are bad, slow down. Slow down a little bit. That's really his Take only advice. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good advice. This is from Verstappen fan Brad. What I've learned, Demko is beginning to remind me of one of the greatest money goalies of all time, Grant Fuhrer. He, like Fuhrer, lets in some goals, but when the chips are down, you're not going to beat them. This is finally our year. Go Canucks, go. Okay. I was actually going to ask Kev about this. Back when Grant Fuhrer was playing, Mm -hmm. there wasn't this analytics movement. Mm -hmm. There, There were these myths that were created, um, and we were all like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's run with it. I wonder how much of that, like, w- did Fear do that? Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of in baseball where you would hear about starters 
who threw a lot of innings. Like it's oh, it's like well, he's just managing his arm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why he's, he has a four fifty ERA because you know he's trying to give the relievers a break today. And like the people said this about Jack Morris. And it's like well, is that true or is he just yeah. not that great a pitcher? I don't know if there's like this strategy to it. And the same thing with Grant Fuhr. It's like. Maybe just was a fine, but not elite goalie. And the Oilers would score like eight goals a game. Exactly. Uh, Talk had actually compared Demko to Grant Fuhrer in his press conference after the game. No, I know. That's where that came from? Well, uh, yeah. yeah. And it it made it into IMAX piece on the game as well. I've always wondered about that, though. If, it's, like, it's the old argument, the timely save, right? Yeah. You don't make the, all the saves or the highest rate of saves, but you make them when they matter. And I, mm-hmm. every save matters. If you let a bad goal in, then all of a sudden that becomes a big save. But, so Laddie, would you that. even agree that it takes a special skill for a goalie to stay in a game and reset if things start going badly? Yeah, I, I think nerves are a real thing. Mm, Anyone that's yeah. played the sport knows that you, know, you get shaky, you get nervous, mm. and it, it can happen to a goaltender for sure. And I think some personalities are better at managing it than others. But I think it's a bit, a little bit overblown. If you've made it that far to the NHL, you've played in some pressure situations up to that point. And I uh, think it's a little overblown. Uh, I, I just think like the goalie who's most likely to make the timely save is the goalie who makes the highest frequency of saves. That's like the you know good, the way the to think. Goalie. Yeah, <laughs> the good the goalie. Good goalie. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're probably going to make some timely saves because yeah. they make a lot of saves. And well, that's what Thatcher Demko does. Don't 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 lead me down the Luongo road because let's get into it. Luongo versus Schneider. Hey, you know you want to say it. Well, he had some meltdowns. <laughs> that's why he's um, in the Ring of Honor. <laughs> speaking of speaking. <laughs> Speaking of meltdowns, uh, Matt and Ladner texted, <laughs> what we learned, uh, the Detroit Lions worked so hard to give Canucks fans hope only to have the Buffalo Bills bring us back to reality. In the end, it's likely no joy for us. Uh, he also says, nor would they have any either, which is, a, of course, a, a very clever. Reference. Yeah, but I do want to bring that up because obviously the Bills lose in excruciating fashion. I know you tweeted about Buffalo as a sad sports town. You're obviously the sad club commissioner. I know about Buffalo sad. is in there. And I was thinking in specific, I mean, first of all, Buffalo has to be in that conversation for kind of most cursed, saddest sports cities in North America, but specifically to have a haunting moment from your past, (laughs) come back and repeat. And look, it's not the Super Bowl, you know, it's the divisional round, but still just to have the announcers being like, wide right, it happened again as your team goes down in flames at home. I was trying to think of the (laughs) Canucks equivalent to that, like what haunting moment would replay from the Canucks past. Gelato. Well, I think what it would be is let's say the Canucks go to the Stanley Cup, and I, I people are going to get mad at me. No, for it has to be the, the second universe. round or something compared for the. Bills. I guess okay. So let's say the Canucks are in the playoffs. Game in the seven. Second round. Scoring on Demko from center ice would be something. They're in the well. second round. They're up two nothing in the series, and then Ian Cole throws like a marginally late hit <laughs> and gets suspended for the rest of the series. That's yeah. what it would be, and everyone would be like. Wait, what? We're doing this? It's happening again. It's happening again? We're like stuck in this nightmare? That's basically what happened to the Bills. It's like, remember Wide Right? Here you go again. We're serving it up to you again. It's uh, awful. Joven from Richmond texts in what we learned. Josh Allen is Philip Rivers 2.0 minus the 10 children. <laughs> He's going to be in Mahomes' shadow his whole career. Minus the 10 children. <laughs> He's still got time. Yeah. He's still got lots of time. Um but that one felt like that. That one felt like the one to win for Buffalo. You know, you never know how long you're going to have to be as a, as an elite team. I mean, I guess as long as they've got Josh Allen, there's a hope there. Mm-hmm. He's not perfect, but he is he is a hell of a player. 
Like I like he's, <laughs> I like when he he runs and there's like almost no concern that he's going to get hurt when he runs because he's so big and strong. Like he he's like he runs oh, like a running. He's back. a tank. He's yeah. it's, it's it's incredible. But you had the game in Buffalo, and Mahomes, you know, had famously never played a real mm-hmm. uh, road playoff game, and you had a team that all season looked good but not great. And they lost to that team. Yeah. And they had a drive. They had the ball. They had a drive to win it. Put the ball in the end zone, and you're probably going to win. And they had the break. They got the breaks, too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then there were some calls that went against them. I know there was the, I think there's a pass interference call that went against them in that fourth quarter. So it's not as if they had every break, but they got the big ones in that game. Yeah. And, you know, there were already people coming into the season asking, has the Bills window closed, right? And then obviously they were struggling so much. And there's the questions about Sean McDermott's future. You know, Diggs isn't what he used to be. Do they have the weapons really on offense to support Josh Allen at this point? And that's the thing. I mean, I thought Josh Allen was really good yesterday. His receivers drop balls. Do they have, as I said, like do they have the talent surrounding him? So they might be in this point where it's not even you can't even pin it on Josh Allen. Like because no, there were, no, there were Philip Rivers it games no. where it was like yeah. you know he threw a bunch of interceptions and he didn't look good, and you could point specifically to his performance. Allen was awesome, but for Allen, it's like he can yeah. play great. He can do almost everything right, and the team still lost to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and I don't know how they improved the team enough to avoid that playing out in the future as well. Well, Buffalo may be a cursed sports town, but at least it's a nice place to live. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, So they got that going for them. Yeah. Yikes. Iron Blair, what I learned watching Connor Garland is so fun. Talk about hustle and determination, and he chips in goals with a sand wedge. I bet he's a good <laughs> golfer. Glad we didn't trade him. Yeah, we were talking earlier in the show, and I can't say enough good things about Connor Garland and what he's given mm-hmm. the Canucks because he's given them the gift of uh, the lotto line, really. You know, because if you think about it and extrapolate it, if that line's not going, let's say they've got the typical Canucks third line that's hasn't been much for the last few years, no, right? No then you really make it hard to load up one line and then you're just like, we got one line and that's it. Yeah, and nobody's else, nobody else is doing anything. I also think, I mean, he says... I like the fourth line too right now, but they're not... It's not the same. It's not. They're still a fourth line. It's not line. the same. Thing. You know, he says, so glad we didn't trade Garland. It is pretty remarkable. I mean, what do you think the Canucks would have taken in separate deals to move both Garland and Besser in the summer? Right. It wouldn't have taken much. Like right. mid-round picks for both. Yeah. If that, mm-hmm. and now you look at it, how absolutely instrumental those players have been. I think more than anything, it's a testament to the players, like finding a way to be successful and putting themselves in that situation. But it's pretty incredible. Like those guys were, hey, man, we need this cap space. And now you're looking at it and they are huge, huge, part, huge parts of the forward group. Uh, I like this one. Todd has bad takes. What we learned Saturday nights are a lot more affordable when you get drunk on Leafs fans tears <laughs> and bonus. There's a reverse hangover. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's what's fun about – it's a weird – I know Connor Garland made some remarks about it. He's like, I don't understand the rivalry between Vancouver and Toronto. They're not even close, but he doesn't get the dynamic of Toronto kind of sucking up all, yeah. the, all the sports energy and people just getting tired of that. And, you know, the history of fandom, which can get handed down from family to fa- family, when it was the original six – 
you had two Canadian teams yep. to cheer for. So it was like Toronto or Montreal. You usually just picked one of those. Yep. And that's the way it was. And I'm sure that's been handed down through families even that have been out on the West Coast for a long time. Yeah, it's really it's a unique rivalry because it is almost exclusively about the fans more than it is the players. And specifically, I think the in arena experience goes Mm -hmm. a long way to fueling it. Right. Because there are so many Leafs fans out here, whether, as you said, it's a generational thing from the original six days or transplants moving out from Ontario, you get, you know, you don't have a lot of, it it reminds me actually a little bit of like the Jays and the Mariners where there's no reason for a rivalry to exist, but because the Jays fans go and take over the Mariners stadium, it creates this animosity between the fans that doesn't really exist between the players, but Mm -hmm. it, it ends up feeling like a big deal when they meet. Any semblance of a rivalry in the NHL is good for the league. Yes. Uh, Tim in Vancouver, what we learned and learned that. Players are injured. Tickets for tonight's game are still ridiculously priced, yeah. even though the Canucks are basically playing an AHL team. Hey, man, you're going to see Jason Dickinson. Yep. That's even, a tribute. Here's a good thing, Tim in Vancouver. Uh, you're seeing one pretty good hockey team. Yeah. And that's the Vancouver Canucks, even if you won't be seeing Connor Bedard. Uh, hopefully the Canucks don't take the Blackhawks too lightly. Um, and you know what? Go put on a show for those fans that paid big money to see Connor Bedard and, I don't know, score like 15 goals on this Blackhawks team because this Blackhawks team does not have much. No, they sure don't. Uh, that does it for today. Halford should be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You've got it here on Sportsnet 650.